Welcome to The Generative Age, a podcast that explores the rapidly evolving world of generative AI and its impact on education. Guided by EdTech director, author, and NiceGate board member, Alana Winnick, we are joined by experts and practitioners in the field. Whether you're an educator, administrator, technology leader, or simply interested in the future of education, join us on this journey through The Generative Age, powered by NiceGate. In this episode, we welcome cool cat teacher, Vicki Davis. So I'm sure most of you know who Vicki Davis is, but if you don't, we're just going to spend a little bit of time getting to know her. Before we do that, I just want to say that when I first started my career in educational technology, there weren't many people that were out there in the ed tech space. And Vicki was one of honestly, like one of my idols. Was there many other people? Like- oh, I, th- I when I started, I thought I was late to the ball game. Can you tell me a bit about how you got started doing that? I went to the GAETC conference in 2005, in November 2005. I thought I was the last person on the planet who had not heard of blogs, wikis, podcasts, and web 2.0. And I felt like a failure. So I wanted to go back and teach my students all those things, but I knew that I had to use it first. So uh, we started with with wikis because cooperative learning was a big thing, but I um, wanted a blog. And so actually one of my students that I've written about is in some of my books, um, Casey helped me name my blog. And um, she's like, well, we're cool. We're the wildcat. So you be the cool cat teacher. I'm like, okay, well, that sounds cool. So I just started writing as a newbie just to say, okay, this is what I'm learning. And it just really quickly was helpful for people. And it was like, well, cool, this is awesome. And it's taken me completely around the world. And uh, it's just been one of the greatest things ever. And so you are a blogger and you are a podcaster as well. Yeah. So if you don't know about Vicky's podcast, it's called the 10 Minute Teacher Podcast. Why don't you tell us about your podcast? Cool. So I had two podcasts before this one. This one I brought in-house, so we produce it here. My son now is executive producer. My husband did the first 500 episodes. Poor husband. Our joke is he always had, he had to listen to his wife talk more than any man should ever have to. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so it's sort of like Coffee Break PD. I mean, I'm a teacher. I talk a lot about innovating like a turtle, taking small steps forward every day. It's a great repository. You can go back and search the database and find a teacher with any subject, any grade level on any topic. And and the goal is to kind of give people like a, a little idea. And then if you love that person, you go further and dig into all their stuff. And what I actually loved about Vicky when I had first met her in, at ISTE is she was saying that she really loves the teachers who aren't even on social media. Yeah. So finding those ones in the classroom. So I guess you can't really find their stuff because it's not there. But maybe that's right. I mean, I've, there's this lady in Canada I interviewed once and she used puppets to teach social emotional learning. One of the most delightful episodes ever. And it was just like, you know, she had no handle, she had no blog, she had no anything. She was a referral from another person who had been on the show. And then also people will email me and say, hey, this person at my school is so amazing. Tell their story. And so that, you know, those are the ones that, I mean, I love to interview people like you, Alana, that a lot of people would know. And then people that nobody's ever heard of because, you know, teachers are amazing. And we need to tell the story of teachers and know that, um, 
you know, a lot of them, the best and most amazing teachers are so humble and they never brag on themselves and they never want to tell anybody about themselves. Like who me, you know? Yes. You, you post now your podcast. Uh, it drops every Monday except last and in the one before, because I had eye surgery and I could not see, but my vision is coming back as of today. (laughs) So I had to limit my screen time, something I was not aware of when I had the surgery. I guess I should have read the fine print, but yeah. <laughs> You're excused for that. I think all of your fans will excuse you. I'm going to talk about content in, in the next part because I do need to produce more content. So I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do that when we get to that part of the segment. Cool. Um, so you are also a speaker. So I know you've spoken at a lot of places. What was the most memorable speaking engagement you've ever had? Oh, I've had so many memorable. Um, I do remember speaking in Moscow um, at Ed Crunch. Um, The Russian government sponsors that for their teachers. And I had a translator. I just realized at that moment just how much teachers around the world have in common. I've loved this stuff in Dubai and Qatar, in the Middle East and in China and in India, as well as every place in the U.S. that I've been able to speak. Um, It's just a lot of fun. Yeah. And you get like a cultural, worldly perspective as well, which I love to teach my students from wherever I am. And so everywhere I go, I like to film and post back to my students um, to just kind of help them understand that you know, opportunities online are real opportunities and it can change your life if you know how to effectively, um, I've talked about flatten the classroom, but connect with other places in the world. And so um, I kind of like to take my students with me. Actually, when we had the COVID shutdown, I launched a class for my students um, studying AI, artificial intelligence. And we interviewed AI experts from around the world about uh, AI in their different fields. We had uh, Ghana Pergrebna, I believe was her name, out of the UK. And she does AI with entertainment. Um, we interviewed um, a person who espoused transhumanism, which I have you know, thoughts and opinions on that. But anyway, um, we exposed my students to lots of different ideas. And um, there's always an opportunity to connect with other places. You just kind of have to look and know how to do that in a way that's organic and real. You can't force it. No. Uh, You just look for those opportunities. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. So you're, you're not only an author. I just learned before the call started that you also are a publisher. (laughs) Well, I have my own imprint that, um, that I created for, uh, for, for my works. I've not been publishing in the education genre yet, but that's coming. Um, I've published two other books in a Christian, in the Christian genre. So, uh, one just came out this week called every scar miracle. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, I started that and it's not that hard. And, uh, I think I told you before, Joanna Penn has a lot of information on how to be a, a self-publisher, a hybrid publisher. And my next goal is to do an audiobook and release on audio, all the audio platforms. Uh, but, you know, if my son can do my podcast, I think he can do an audiobook, right? <laughs> well, I how would you feel about using AI to 
speak your book instead of you recording the whole thing, because one of our Mm -hmm. colleagues is actually doing that for his book right now. A lot of people really like that as an option. And Joanna Penn, the the person I quoted, does like that as an option. Um, I used Descript for a while and I trained in in, an AI um, voice for myself. And I used it on one podcast where I inserted some words and took some out to see what I thought of it. And it actually worked pretty well. Um, and, And while I'm open to the idea uh, and you can emulate your own voice and you can also kind of hire AI voice talent. Um, I think that for me, um, I'm really open about how I use AI and how I don't use AI. And I write a lot about, you know, there's human intelligence and there's artificial intelligence. Are you here? And so for me, I think that when I create my own content, I'm going to create some bonus content. And I don't know that AI can do that. So I think it's an easy way to get on the audio platforms. Um, and it might be an option for some. I'm not sure it's going to be something I'm going to be doing just because of who I am and how I like to operate. Oh, thank you. That was very insightful. What I love about Vicki Davis is that she does all these things we just talked about. But at the same time, she's still a classroom teacher and an instructional coach while doing all of that. So that is really commendable. I don't think if you look at the world of speakers and bloggers and authors and podcasters, not many of them also have a job where you're teaching four classes. First of all, my question before we go into those roles is like, how do you do it all? Well, you can't do it all. You always have to have choices. Um, but I've, I've at my school where I am currently, one reason I shifted to this school six years ago was... Um, just understanding the the challenges of being able to uh, follow my calling to be in the classroom and still also my calling and love I have for teaching and teachers. Teachers need um, people in the classroom talking about how to do it, who get it. And um, here's the thing is one teacher might find me helpful and one teacher might find you helpful. Like there's, I don't believe in playing king of the hill. I believe in making a bigger hill. But um, I go in around 11 and I spend all morning with podcasting, blogging. I release a newsletter every Tuesday that'll kick back up. Well, it kicked back up last Tuesday, Uh, even though I was practically blind. I dictated it. (laughs) But, um, you know, but this is year 23 for me. So um, it's been a lot of struggle, but it's a choice. Um, I have a dear friend, Angela Myers, who I haven't seen in a while. You matter. That was her thing, right? You matter is, yeah, it still is. And she was, she was like, we had just gone to dinner and then we had gone back and we were getting ready just to hang out. And she pulls out her laptop and she's writing a blog. And she's like, I have to blog X number of times a week. And I'm like, okay, I can have that discipline too. So I think it's a matter of setting the goals for what you want to do and how much content you feel like you can create and still have a life, but then also being kind to yourself. Like I had to, you know, last Monday, I started feeling guilty because I hadn't released the podcast. And I'm like, listen, I only have two. <laughs> I have these two eyes. Yeah. If I hurt my eyes, what message am I sending to teachers who I tell them to take care of yourself if I don't take care of myself? So, yeah, yeah. I love that. And that goes back to the human intelligence thing and all about like being human. Right. Um, yeah. But so first of all, before we keep going on, what classes do you teach? You teach four classes. What are they? 
I teach eighth grade computer apps. And we've been teaching generative art in Adobe Firefly for a while. I teach digital tech. And then I teach AP computer science principles uh, with Python. And then I teach digital film, which I adore. I love filmmaking. All of my classes, I teach them how to make film because I believe that, you know, if America were founded today, our founding fathers wouldn't print pamphlets. They would do YouTube videos. And so I think that creating film and being able to communicate in that way is a really, it's is as important as the essay. Call that the end product because different students can showcase their knowledge differently. And that's just one end product, right? And some people are not good at writing and they're very good at at showing their knowledge through film or another media. Yeah, well, you want to encourage students to uh, express themselves in the way that uh, they're, they're, you know, where where they shine, you know, their talent. Um, okay, a few more bullets before we keep hopping right along. So you're a mom of three, including two with learning differences. So I think that that probably, I'm assuming, helped you learn more about accessibility and learn about the importance of helping students shine where their strengths are. Absolutely. That- um, you know, it's tough when uh, my oldest, who is now about to turn 30, a third grade teacher said that she didn't think that he would graduate from high school. Uh, we knew he was smart. We knew he was intelligent, but we also knew that he needed technology to be able to be his best. So um, I, that fueled the Cool Cat Teacher blog because I would test it and I would write about it because I knew there were other parents and teachers like me. And I know that every child can learn. Uh, you don't say the word disability. No. Kids are not unable to learn. Every child is able to learn. They just learn differently. You know, as I started applying what I was learning for our oldest and then eventually our youngest, um, I found out I was becoming a better teacher and my kids were becoming more engaged and were becoming more excited. And so a lot of what I teach when I when I travel is how to differentiate instruction in the classroom. That's one of my most popular things that I talk about um, because it doesn't have to be that hard. And now with AI, I mean, we have a lot of opportunities to differentiate. Yeah, definitely. So I like to throw Easter egg questions for my guests. So I reach out to other people that I know that they are familiar with. And I asked a bunch of your peers, and I just want to let you know that you are so well-respected and every person, every single one said, she's the nicest person. She's so kind. Like everyone from like George Kuros to Steve Dembo, like everyone. Well, that is, that is very kind. Um, And, you know, the big thing is we all have struggles. Uh, I had a a former pastor who always said, walk slowly through the crowd. Everybody has a hurt. And it's just part of, I mean, we all have to just have compassion and love for each other because life is not easy. It's not easy for anybody. And thank you for being kind for saying that. That was really nice. And I think that that's, you know, we're going to focus the next segment on like human intelligence, but you know, there's like IQ and EQ and EQ is like the human intelligence and you definitely have it. So. Well, I was, uh, I had four years of my life from fifth grade to halfway through ninth grade where I went home every day and cried. I was picked on terribly. I hesitate oh to use the word bully, but I've told a lot of my story, but, um, I was that kid that, um, I mean, the kids told me the world would be better without me. I had no common sense. Nobody would ever love me that I was so ugly and all these different things. Um, now in hindsight, you know, I always said I would never be glad all that happened, but the one thing is 
that um, I don't want anybody to be invisible. We don't need invisible people. We need every single person in a room to know that they matter. Like my friend, Angel Meyer says that each person is important. I always tell my students that they are like diamonds and I show them a picture of this big coal looking thing. I'm like, what is this? And they're like, we don't know. It looks like a black rock. And it's like, no, it's a diamond. It just doesn't have the facets off yet. And so my goal is before the end of the semester that I will contact each of your parents and tell them something unique and good and different about you because that's what I'm here for. I am not here to contact your parents to tell them you messed up. I am here to say, I have noticed this amazing thing about you and that's what I want to tell them. But I think the world needs more kindness. You talk about the word kind. I learned that there's a difference between nice and kind. Did you ever hear this? I have heard that nice basically means pushover and you're quiet and nobody would say I'm a pushover and quiet, but yeah. Well, what's the difference you heard? If you had food in your teeth, like a kind person would tell you that and a nice person might not tell you that. That was, the oh, answer. that's a good one. Yeah. 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 Kind is, is proactive. I would think I would hope. So we will move on because we just spent a lot of time, on, but I loved we getting did. to know you a bit deeper here. So can you tell us one creative way you use AI personally and one way you use it professionally in a creative kind of way? Well, uh, I don't know if you would count my podcast personal, but I probably save. It used to take me 10 to 15 hours. I have it down to two to four hours using different AI tools to help me with things, help me clean up my transcripts and all that. Um, I am actually testing a lot of AI with voice and I'm really not happy with any of it yet. Um, I would like it to be able to help me there because I spend some time in the car. Um I love perplexity.ai. I use that a ton. Like if I can't find something, it's a great like a search assistant, far better than any of the other tools that are out there. And it cites your sources and things. So it's really good at finding like, oh, what was that show that somebody mentioned last week that had such and such a line in it, you know, and I can actually type stuff in there. So I use that a lot personally. And then, you know, professionally, of course, like everybody else, I use uh, ChatGPT for certain things. I do keep a notebook of prompts in uh, in Evernote still um, and, and really like that. Um, I haven't but heard I, Evernote in quite a while. I still use Evernote. I, I've tried to go to Notion. I really tried. Um, it's just not searchable enough. Um, I love the book, Build a Second Brain by Tiago Forte. And a uh, fantastic book. Because here's the thing. As we move into this AI age, ideas become our currency. I talk to my students a lot about not being, not having idea bankruptcy. You need to have idea wealth and you need to learn how to create ideas because that's one unique thing that we do. And so we have to learn how to nurture those ideas. And I think that the building a second brain philosophy that he has um, works and they actually are adding some really cool things to Evernote, including an AI search that they just released. Um, there's a new owner out of Europe uh, for Evernote, and I actually am pretty hopeful, but I really tried to use Notion, but um, it just, it wasn't searchable. Like I couldn't, it wasn't flat enough to search stuff and I could never tell where I had put my stuff. So, yeah. You just said Evernote, girl. It's fine. You could stay with it. 
I Maybe. keep going back. I keep, I try to leave and then I end up back. <laughs> but all your stuff is there. At this point, you're probably not moving. It's just, it's, you just got to own it, right? I, you know, I've got a system. I'm a bit of a geek. I have like a, an Elgato stream deck. I have these three monitors. I've got like this really cool system that's working that uh, it's going to be don't in my break, next book. So. Don't break what doesn't need, what's not, don't fix what's not broken. That's a saying. That's right. right. Yeah. So how do you envision the future of education in a world with artificial intelligence? Well, I feel like that a lot of teachers are asking the wrong question. The wrong question is, how do I tell if they used AI on this assignment? Yeah. The right question is, how can I tell if I'm truly teaching this student this content? And no, it's not our, quote, fault if they use AI. Okay, so I'm not saying that. However, in the age of AI... Um, the, the issue is this, is that the students who are your most intelligent students who spell the best and write the best are going to be the ones who are best at getting away with using AI. Your students who are your weaker students, it's going to just stick out because you're going to know that Johnny didn't write that, but you might believe that Susie did. Well, we have to understand that in a world of AI, there's inherent bias in teaching the way that we have always taught. So, you know, I've talked to college professors who are going back to blue books and writing by hand. Um, there, there are a lot of things that are going to be happening at the college level that also impact us in secondary school yeah. that we've got to to know. So um, our, pedag- our pedagogies have got to shift uh, how we teach. Uh, the AP Computer Science Principles, I'm going to tell you, this is not a, a, a good year for this to be my first year teaching this AP class because they've changed the um, all of the stuff multiple times. But they've just re-revised that you can actually consider ChatGPT a peer and use it for, quote, peer review as long as you cite it. And that's a little bit of a slippery slope, but I do think it's not a bad thing. Um, it's just it's just hard to to check. So I think that we're going to have two to three years of just a bit of a mess. I think that schools that are in denial are going to have, by Christmas, and I stand by this, are going to have an uproar from their parents because the, I mean, I, I had a school that I was talking to the other day and I said, well, what are you doing about photo math? You know, they said, we don't have AI in our school. I was like, oh, yes, you do. What are you doing about photo math? Is we don't, we're not allowed to say the word photo math at our school. Well, you cannot say the word photo math, but all the kids are taking pictures of their um, math problems and copying the answers out of photo math. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not even new. That was out before ChatGPT. It has been out, but I don't believe because, you know, the ACT basically accused schools of grade inflation because they said the math scores are higher than the kids actually know math. Well, I don't think it's grade inflation. I think it's the fact that so many kids are using photo math for um, their assignments that it looks like they know more than they do. Uh, I mean, maybe there's some grade inflation, but um, I think there's a whole lot of photo math. And and there's some kids that I've talked to that admit that they're in a bit of a mess because they started using it. I mean, it became the fastest growing math app in history during the pandemic. And there are kids that I've talked to that admitted they started using it then. And it's like the, the loss becomes cumulative and it's like they can't get out. Yeah. What do you do with those kids that 
don't have the human intelligence and math that they need to have. Mm-hmm. Um, because in order to use AI, and this is one thing I, I caution my students with, you've got to have the human intelligence knowledge base in that area to supervise AI as you use it in that area of knowledge. Because when you don't have a knowledge base in a particular area, using AI in that area where it's not been proven to be 100% reliable is a really slippery, dangerous place to be. And you're going to set yourself up to be deceived. So I think that it's going to be two to three years of a bit of um, back and forth controversy and and issues that are going to happen. I do believe that we will end up being better teachers and that those who have embraced authentic learning and project-based learning Mm -hmm. and differentiate instruction and all the things we've been talking about in technology since I started blogging are are already ahead of the curve because you are authentically teaching already. I know. So like my whole slogan is like, process over product. And I have like Mm -hmm. process greater than product. That's like the thing I put in every presentation I do, because if, if you are truly assessing the learning process, Mm -hmm. you don't, that's not even a conversation that you're going to have about the gotcha moment because it's just, you've watched the student progress and you've watched the work and you watch it develop and you're not that that wouldn't even be a conversation for someone that's doing project project based learning or sort of like a flipped classroom approach or any of the things. Yeah. It just wouldn't even be a conversation. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, people used to say, um, I had William, one of my students uh, on my podcast, and I said, well, you know, why are kids using the chat GPT? And he says, well, they want the easy A. And of course, I have concerns about kids thinking that using AI is an easy A, but I have caught kids who just want the easy C. You can actually tell ChatGPT to write with a certain number of grammatical and spelling errors. Wow. And I have I have seen it happen. I have seen kids do it to try to get the easy C. So just because it has spelling and grammar errors does not mean that AI didn't write it. And we have to, you know, part of, of being a leader is admitting the truth. If you can't admit the truth to to yourself that you cannot tell who is using it, why should you have to change how you're teaching so they're doing it right there in front of you? Or like I'm doing with with um, uh, Python, I'm using Code Combat. It has AI built in that helps me teach the kids in it. You know. So I'm doing um, like a TEDx talk at the NiceGate conference. Sorry to give away for everyone. But one of the things that I say is I am like a perfectionist and I need it. Like I need an A. I don't know why. I just can't get over it because I, but I know it should be about the learning process, but the A, so I call it the scarlet letter. Oh, it's supposed to be a good thing, but like, is it? I don't know. Sometimes if you get the C, but you really tried and then you learn and grow, I think sometimes that's better than just getting the A right away. Well, I, I told my, my teachers that if we didn't deal with this issue that we could, we might have to deal with the fact that our best educated students are our B students. Yeah. Because the A students are not, you know, and I, and I talk to my kids a lot about, you know, I'm like, is it in here? Do you have the human intelligence to supervise the artificial intelligence 
so that you bring what's your best to the table. It brings what's its best to the table and then you can accomplish more. So I like to do landscape updates and give everyone an update on what's been going on in the world of generative artificial intelligence. So since my last episode, OpenAI, so you can dictate your voice, you could input with voice and it can speak back to you. So you can input and output with voice. And also you could input images and ask the AI about the image. So Vicky, as someone who, who likes to focus on learning differences and abilities, how do you think that this will change the way that we interact with AI and how will it improve students? Well, yeah. Honestly, um, I have basically spent the last two and a half weeks blind um, and tried to use some of these things. And this is what I found out is that you need sight to set it up. <laughs> okay. That's all I'm saying is e almost every accessibility tool that I tried to use, you needed your eyes to set it up. Mm. I don't think we have true accessibility until we can, we can initiate starting with talking to it. Um, I basically ended up having to do a lot of communicating with Siri um, and, and w was not able to use this a lot. But I do think that eventually this this will be useful in many ways. The big thing is we need transparency. We need accountability. And ChatGPT is great for us. But if I'm going to use it with students, I have to be able to supervise it. And I can't supervise it yet. But Conmigo, you know, has some possibilities. It's a great option yeah. once we're all able to sign up in our schools. Um, so this is going to be very interesting as it becomes multimodal. And, you know, when is it going to be accessible inside um, our ALEXA devices? I'm not going to say it because I have one over <laughs> here. But, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, with it. But I would still argue that we don't have true accessibility if somebody is blind and can't set it up, then you still need a sighted person to do it. Then it's not accessible. True. True story. Yeah. One of my best friends, her husband is completely blind and he plays fantasy football on his iPhone. Wow. That's incredible. Right. And I watch, I, I watch him shave. Like, I don't know how he does all of these things. It's amazing. <laughs> Well, you know, you learn and you do what you have to do. And I, I've only experienced it for two and a half weeks, but I know I spent three months not walking and I learned so much about handicapped accessibility. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that most places that say they have handicapped accessibility absolutely do not. Um, we, our world is not accessible for handicapped people. Uh, the bathrooms aren't accessible for handicapped people that we pretend like we are, but we're not. We need people to test these things that do have accessibility issues and we need to start listening to those who have accessibility issues process, right you yeah. got to start with empathy it's like human yeah. intelligence you have that's you need human intelligence like empathy when you're designing these things yeah empathy and some real world testing and yeah. how are they going to set it up you know how are they going to like let's let's really use AI let's like let the AI you know you turn on your computer and you say hey I'm blind like okay let's go you know yeah. like when are we going to get there yeah I love that okay next update um so I took this right from your blog so why don't you share this update and tell us a bit about it 
Well, Microsoft Copilot is in Windows 11. Um, this is basically ChatGPT built right in uh, when you use creative mode for um, the for Copilot. Copilot will be in all the 365 commercial uh, consumer tools November 1st. And, um, you know, you can chat with it right inside. There's some really cool things that have happened in paint. Some generative art is actually being built into a lot of Microsoft's tools, as well as being able to chat with it. And the cool thing is, is that I know when I was IT director, and you probably do this, Alana, you know, how much time did I spend helping people fix their projectors or fix their sound. And so what you're, if you've updated your windows, you have this nice little chat box and you can say, fix my projector or fix my sound. And it's going to guide you through the steps. Now we've got to do some testing of it and obviously it will improve, but it's got some really cool stuff. The other thing is, is that Bing chat's built right in. So you can uh, type in it and it will generate from doll E the images. Um, I will say that I have started having chats with my AP computer science book, 250 page PDF. And that is because I'm using Bing chat enterprise for that um, as I'm testing some stuff um, and working with Microsoft and I'm going to tell you the conversations I have with my AP textbook. Um, it uses that 250 pages that is indexed. And I can say, hey, what are the standards for this? And it'll give me the page numbers. It'll say, it'll give me all the stuff. And then I can click on it and go to the page number. So it's truly going to revolutionize a lot of what we do. And all of that is in the process of coming to Windows 11. Um, and of course, there's that whole blog post that tells you a lot about it. But it's really pretty cool. And you can talk to it too. So it's all, all is happening. Excited about that. We're not Windows 11 yet in my district because your whole tech infrastructure needs to be ready for that transition. So I was, I really wanted to go to Windows 11. They told me to wait another year. Well, in December, 2025, um, Windows 10 support will be pulled. So on our campus, um, we have to all, every Windows 10 device that cannot be upgraded to 11 will have to go away Yeah, uh, no, because it has to be secure. So we're all, we're all stuck with that date, you know? Oh, I'm excited. I'm ready. They just needed another year to catch. Yeah. It's okay. Here's some new things that came out since the last time I had a podcast. The U.S. has released new initiatives to advance the safe and responsible use of artificial intelligence. I'm not going to go into it in depth in this episode, but I promise to go into it a bit deeper in a future episode. Uh, but I did link it here for you for your review. So there's a bunch of wearables out now. So Meta just released glasses and it's a partnership with Ray-Ban. So you could take pictures and videos. You could stream to Meta's companies such as Instagram and Facebook. Um, and there are a bunch of other features you could talk to Meta sort of like an A-L-E-X-A that I won't say because Vicky's will listen. <laughs> um, I have on headphones. It's okay. <laughs> oh, I, I have one too. So I don't know. If oh. she was so this just kind of reminded me back in the day when Google glasses came out. Do you remember that Vicky? And I, I really thought that Google glasses was going to take off and it's really like augmented reality instead of the virtual reality. Cause it's bringing the technology into your real world world. And I really thought that that was going to take off at the time, but it's coming from someone who just had eye surgery. Okay. Glasses are a statement that people wear on their face and they have surgery to not have to wear glasses anymore. <laughs> so I feel like the thought of putting glasses on your face is counterintuitive to the society that we live in. Like 
maybe sunglasses are okay and they're cool, but the, I, I know people that have the transition ones. That's people wearing them indoors. How, do you think people will wear them indoors? Do you think that it's going to be another Google Glasses? Like, what are you thinking that this is going to be like? Well, uh, first of all, the permissions issue is your issue. That's your issue. Having permission to film, having permission to stream, telling people you're filming, telling people you're oh, streaming. That is the big mega issue. Now, I've always, as I've taught my students, told them I think augmented reality is going to be far, far, far more than virtual reality. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, it just is. And I think it always depends on the app. And we know the status symbol of things. Yes. If it becomes that everybody wants augmented reality, of course, you could take it on or take it off if you but wanted to. It's not even expensive. They're like two, three hundred dollars. It it will be interesting. You know, it freaks people out when like I was talking to my husband about something about Freddie Mercury and the band Queen. And then all of a sudden I started getting Queen fangirl stuff yeah. on Facebook yeah. and people kind of freak out when it's listening, but it's going to always be listening. And then if it combines with location tracking and it knows what friends are close and so it knows what they're talking about. Um, and, and it's, we're talking about a lot of privacy concerns uh, for me. Um, I am finding that I really want to limit, okay, now's the time that I'm going to be on. Now's the time I'm not going to be on. And I am, I have time, like I used to never take off my Apple watch. I literally have times where I go on a, every Sunday, I want to have a, a social media sabbatical. I want to be off. I want to be off everything. Uh, to connect with my family and have those human relationships. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think that privacy is the big concern and uh, that is the big concern. You know, have do you, you have seen, my permission to record? Have you seen this rewind pendant? Have you seen this before? I saw it as I was looking at your slides and dug into it a little bit. And that is also the privacy concerns, but it, it looks so cool. I'm so concerned about this because so for those of you that are listening and not watching, it's a necklace that you wear around your neck. It's a wearable necklace and it captures everything that you're saying. So all the interactions that you have and it transcribes them and stores them locally on your phone. And it's saying that it's secure. But what I would like to rewind and say is last Friday, a student recorded a teacher with their uh, Apple watch and goes back to what you're saying, the permissions thing, right? So we're now going to have cameras on our sunglasses. We have audio recording devices on our wrists. And this necklace, which could be very discreet, and you can wear it on your, under your shirt or near your shirt, and no one would know. No one, it looks very discreet, is recording everything. And Well, just, and combine that with the deepfake capability. All you need is, what, 20 seconds of someone's voice and you can deepfake it. So I think, and I hate to admit this, I think we're going to end up having to have video and audio recorders in every classroom for our protection because all it's going to take is somebody deep faking a video or deep faking our voice into saying something because do people ever question that i mean they could they can try you talked about you know somebody recording a book and having ai do the book all yep. they need is x amount of my voice and yep. they can make me say anything yep. oh i recorded this on my pendant uh-uh. I mean, I, it, we really, it's just, it's just not going to be, an, it's going to be tough for so a while. We, we actually do have keywords, teacher activated cameras in all of our classrooms, mm -hmm. but they could be used in positive ways. So 
one use, the reason that we initially got them was for security. So, you know, God forbid you, you ever have a situation, anything from like, it could be, we just need the nurse to come because the child's having a situation, or maybe there's a behavior problem, whatever it mm-hmm. might be, or just something more severe. Um, it's, a, it's attached to an audio enhancement system. So the teachers wear microphone necklaces that enhance their audio around the room. And if they press these two buttons um, on the necklace, then what it does is it just alerts the main office and the security desk just to have a peek inside the room to see what's going on. And they'll assess the situation. However, that would be teacher activating it for to allow someone else to have access. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's a button where they could just record it. So great examples of this might be one of my teachers is um, going for her national board certification and she needs to record herself teaching. That's mm-hmm. a great way to do it. My music teachers want to record all the students playing music and have that recording of the class. That That's another great way to use it. So it there's, is. or one teacher can't, come into another teacher's room while they're teaching because they're also teaching Mm -hmm. so they could record that lesson and share it with their colleagues so there's such positive uses but I think that there's a lot of union issues for those um, districts that have strong unions that might not buy into that but I think like what you're saying a teacher might want to cover themselves and record things just to have them for their own protection I, I just we're entering a new day and it's not an easy day, but I I just think that it's just too easy to record and it's also too easy to deep fake. And I have dealt with all of these things. And so I don't know the answer, but I will tell you the teacher, a teacher initiated recording actually sounds like a lot of good protection for yes. teachers to me. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. My teachers like at first, you know, we told them we don't have, I don't even have access. I made sure that our, our consultant vendor that I, we bought it through, they assigned the teacher to their room and I cannot even log on because mm-hmm. I didn't even want that responsibility of someone thinking that we can see in the room because we can't. So I purposely. Well, I, you know what? I'm happy for people to see in my room. Uh, just, yeah. that's just me, but yeah. you know. But yeah. you know, not everyone's like you, so some people are no we ha- we do have to know that people have lots of different perspectives and yeah. uh, and things can be misconstrued too so you know here's a little prompt because we're talking about generative ai we all know what a prompt is right so we have a prompt for you from john spencer mm-hmm. obviously artificial intelligence has amplified the need for human skills but what i'm curious what does she think are the timeless skills that were important 200 years ago that will be important 200 years from now what do you think great question um i had mentioned it earlier i talked to my students a lot about um not having idea bankruptcy so i took my students into uh, adobe firefly where they could literally create any generative ai art they wanted i had three or four students who who said well, I don't know what to type in. So I stopped and I taught a whole day of of brainstorming because here you have the capability of putting any kind of art you want and anything you want and you can't think of something. And so I wrote on the board that um, idea bankruptcy equals zero output. (laughs) But then I said idea wealth plus lack of focus 
equals zero output. So you can't just implement every idea that pops into your head. You need to have a lot of ideas, but that if you can have idea wealth, but also focus and intentional selection of those ideas and the ability to implement ideas, then you can productively add to society. So the ability to ideate, the ability to invent a timeless intelligence, human intelligence on subject areas. Um, Some examples I have given my students, you know, I don't need to be using chat GPT to talk about brain surgery, but if I was a brain surgeon and I used it, it might actually help me do some of my job as a brain surgeon, but I would have the intelligence to be able to supervise it. So human intelligence is even more important than ever. Um, And AI is a multiplier effect for the amount of intelligence you have. If you don't have intelligence and you use AI, it's actually a negative because you could be deceived by it. But then the other, the, the final most important timeless thing is integrity. The ability to look at someone and know that they are being truthful with you and they're being truthful with themselves. And as I told a student the other day, a half truth is a whole lie. And this is just such an issue because um, you can definitively pretty much know that someone is using AI and we don't try to play gotcha, but there is a matter of integrity. And if somebody says, I used AI, but if you, if you're not supposed to use it, you're not supposed to use it. Do you, are you going to have that integrity? Uh, and it's a tough one because many years ago um, when I was in school and was valedictorian in my high school class. Um, to- oh yeah. Thanks. Um, but I had a, uh, the person who was salutatory and everybody wanted her to her, her to get it. And so they were feeding her the answers. <laughs> and uh, but today, if I was in school, if I was going to have integrity, I might have to be happy being in the top 10 percent. Yeah. And and that's a hard one. But I do think that having integrity, having creativity, having inventiveness, as well as a selected area of intelligence these are all things that are really very important, um, you know, and part of integrity is the dependability that when I say I'm going to do this tomorrow by 8 a.m. that, you know, I knew you and I, I think we set this date up, what, three months ago? Yeah. And we're emailing and you knew that you could count on me to be here, even though, you know, I was having eye surgery. Um, and so being dependable, I, I think is really it, important. Right? But I would have, if you told me that, I would have moved it. I didn't need to tell you that because I was going to be here anyway, I, right? I'm just saying okay. like a human intelligence is also, you know, being empathetic towards someone else. And I know you yeah. didn't, but I was just pointing out that I would have. I know you would have. I know. If I could have seen to email you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all good. No, those are really important qualities. And I think that's why, you know, we have this whole episode is focusing on human intelligence because it is one of the most important skills you'll need in this new era. Um, So that brings us to the next. I thought we were jumping right to human intelligence, but first we're going to talk about AI in your classroom. So can you, you put this nice visual up. I really love this. Um, Can you talk a little bit about us for those of you that can't see i'm going to include all the resources in the description link but can you please tell us a bit about your ai classroom rules that you have yeah so um 
these are the rules um, that in the chart she'll share with you. But the first one is you have to have specific permission to use an AI tool on an assignment specific explicit permission to use the tool so not only you know you can use ai but the actual tool has to be the permission uh second you have to always link to the ai conversation in the final work so i do not allow students to use ai that cannot be linked to the conversation like or the prompt like bing we use perplexity a lot there are a few times we use chat gpt in certain ways um the bing stuff it depends on where you are and i need to look in bing chat enterprise and see what's back in there because there's some things in there but uh in that case if they were going to use bing they might have to use a screenshot okay, okay. so but but they would have to be able to link to that ai conversation because one of my principles of ai is that i have to it has to be supervisable i have to be able to supervise the interaction with my students and know what happened um and then if they're going to cite ai that's fine but i'm not going to let them cite wikipedia they're going to cite the original sources right right so they have to be able their ai has to be able to cite sources so because ChatGPT, if it's not using the Bing interface, because there is a Bing add-in now for ChatGPT, but if they're not using that and they don't have the pro version, then they're going to probably have to use perplexity.ai instead. Um, so they have to include the web source. So basically when they're using AI, they're giving me two links and sometimes three and four links um, if they have multiple sources. Um, they have a responsibility to report bias and error. I like them to not only report it to the AI company, but also to tell me um, so we can screenshot it and we can hold people accountable because we do have to train. With our human intelligence, we have a responsibility to report societal bias and statistical bias, as well as inappropriate interactions and conversations that it shouldn't be having. Um, and this is part of training AI. Yeah. And, and I think then, a really ahead. important one that not a lot of people are talking about right now is that whole AI bias. I just did a lesson in a uh, foreign language class where the students were describing themselves or another character. And then we popped it in an AI image generator. And unless you specify, and this is just one type of bias, but unless you specify the type of skin color you want, it's automatically going to assume it's white the, the image creation and the the people creation i mean there's there is a huge issue with that at this point um that's a whole difference there's, there's some uh, there's a lot of bias uh <laughs> it, it, societal bias statistical yeah. bias as well as topics that it should talk to kids about you know and that's another issue is should you be having this conversation with a kid and that's my big issue with snap ai is it's talking to kids about stuff that it has no business talking to kids about no. and and, you know, when I showed it to my administrator the week it came out, he said, how long until this kills someone? No, it's bad. Yeah, it is. And then the last piece of my AI rules is just talking to kids about productive struggle. And that's what it takes to learn. And that it's a it's a responsibility we all have to make our world a better place by properly supervising AI as it grows into a helpful tool. So um, the, these are the rules. Um, they all got them on the first day. I, I just require that if, and if they want to use AI in a way that we haven't talked about, then they, they are required to have a conversation with me. So I want them to talk about it because stuff's being invented every day.
Yeah. In New York, we have very strict data privacy and security laws. Kids can't even use Bing chat right now in New York because it's only for faculties. Well, look at uh, perplexity because it, it lets you use it without an account. And with I think it lets you use it without accepting a cookie. So they're not creating an account on that. Um, we already have Adobe. And so they're signing in with their Adobe accounts for Adobe Firefly. So that's part of the package of Adobe that we have. And of course, Canva AI tools too. Um, there's a lot of AI built into Canva now. It's really cool. Oh, it's been pretty amazing seeing yeah. all the follow up. Mm. Okay, so the main event, the main reason you're here, 80 days of AI and HI. So my goal is that I will dedicate 80 days of my life during this year. So I got to get really busy because I want to get all 80 of them done before the end of the year. Before um, like the December or like? Yeah, before December. So I got 50 more to write. So I better get busy, huh? <laughs> Anyway. I mean, you know, give yourself a break. If it takes a little longer, it's okay. Human intelligence, Vicky, you gotta <laughs> be okay with it for yourself. Yeah, a bit longer, it's okay. We'll see. We'll, we'll give see. you a break. So yeah. we're gonna talk about some of your favorite blogs, but before we do that, I just want to talk about the combination of AI and HI together. So John Spencer had mentioned in the previous podcast about how if you have an AI chess player and a human chess player, they found that the AI chess player will beat the human 100% of the times. But when you have a combination of a human and AI, you will beat the AI Mm. because the human has this element of um, being able to think about things not as calculated and prescripted like a computer Mm -hmm. would. Yeah. Um, so that combination of both of them together is what really makes an impact. So how do you feel about the ideal partnership for you in the educational world between AI and HI? Uh, again, it needs to be in your area of human intelligence. Um, but also part of it is knowing your strengths and weaknesses. For example, um, when I took the U science test that we implemented with my students, I found out that I'm pretty good at finding commas and grammar errors for 10 minutes and then I fatigue. Well, that's not acceptable for students that I grade after 10 minutes. They're there. I'm not seeing their comma errors and the kid I grade in my first minute. You know, how is that acceptable? So AI would be a really good target for me for grading grammar and punctuation because it's it's helping me in my weakness and it's something that AI can do. So you have to look at the confidence of AI. You have to look at the confidence of the human. Now, once it points out the error, I can recognize it. So I can properly supervise that. But I think that, that looking at our weaknesses and looking at um, how it can help us and it is part of knowing how to partner and use AI as a tool in the right way. So that's just my own personal take on it. I love that. Okay. So your cool cat teacher blog about AI and HI. I just picked a random ones that I saw up there. I didn't, they're not in any particular order. Um, I just put them up here to spark some conversation. So do you want to tell us about why you decided to do this and what are your favorite blog posts you put out so far most popular one is what do I what do I do if I think uh, ChatGPT wrote my student's paper? That's the most popular one, where I went through and I actually ran a sample that I knew was written by ChatGPT um, through 
and showed how you could not prove that it was written by AI, except for the student admitting that it was written by AI. Um, so I think that's real important. Um, I am, I've got one more post in a series about why schools need to have AI policies. I think it's really dangerous if students, if schools don't have AI policies, because we're about to be class rank is about to be a real problem. A real problem. If you haven't had an AI policy or released an AI policy and those class ranks come out at Christmas and we know that class ranks are changing because of AI, because if you are keeping an eye on things, you're seeing patterns happen. And when you have kids drop who didn't use AI and kids who go up that did use AI and it gets back to parents, parents are going to be very upset about it. And so the 21 there is part of that, um, uh, harnessing the future of AI. Um, I wrote a piece for Edutopia about productive struggle in math, um, getting ready to do some more with that. I actually think it's very important to teach art in a way that kids can generate art. So I think art class is going to change in a really good way. It's going to get an upgrade. Um, hadn't blogged about that, but but that's where I'm heading next uh, in some of my research. You know, I kind of want to be able to look back and be able to track this season um, and look at all the changes. So that's part of why I'm like, okay, I need 80 days of snippets of what happened. Um, I wish I had done that during the COVID process and the learning process and and made myself have the discipline to capture a certain number of days and I could have seen all the changes happen. Um, but I think that, uh, it's a really interesting time that we're going to look back on and people are going to want to know, uh, because it's changing so fast. Like, yeah. how did we get here? Every day. It's yeah. changing every day. That's why you don't need to rush it. If you don't get it done by December, it's okay. Just maybe <laughs> see the highlights, like as something's relevance coming up. And then if the 80 days takes till the end of the January, then that's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing is like, oh, this is big. Yeah write about it. I'm getting ready to write about idea bankruptcy because it really blew my mind to have kids look at this tool that could do any, create any kind of artwork and go, oh, what do I type in the box? Yeah. Like in that, they're going to be the question for the next 20 years. What do I yeah. type in the box? Yeah. yeah. I just went to a, um, a presentation last week and it was by a Harvard professor, Chris Didi. Oh, and he's amazing. Yeah. He's been around a while. Yeah. And so the title of his talk was, if AI is the answer, what is the question? Oh, I bet that was interesting. He's yes. great. He is great. Is there anything else about the 80 days of AI and HI that you want to talk about? Um, You know, like you, I could talk a lot about the the different things. I think the thing is this, is that everybody's selling a course. I don't know that you need a course. Um. My the best prompts I'm finding are on like these prompt boards where I could, but, but, you know, do you really need a hundred prompts? I mean, a, the other thing is, is that I'm really looking for writers that are not using AI with their writing, except maybe to check their spelling and grammar. So these folks who are just giving me chat GPT blog posts, I'm kind of like steering clear of it uh, because I really want that human intelligence of how we're actually using it. So that's just my own thought as you look at the AI stuff. Um, I think that the stuff that is human written and improved by AI really stands out as being better stuff than the stuff that's being generated by AI. 
Like, I, who wants to read a bunch of stuff generated by ChatGPT? Yeah, no. I, you know, I have very untraditional writing methods. The way that I that I write is I actually dictate my thoughts. So I do speech to text dictation, and then I run it through an AI because I say like and um. So I ask AI to remove my filler words and to help me format it in more of a writing style. Yeah. Do you have and an I, app that you dictate it to? I just do it on my Google Doc, and then I just oh, okay paste it over. Or like you know, there's like labs. I try I try to use I try to use all the main things and push them as much as I can. But yeah, most of my writing is done with speech to text. And then I use the AI to help me rewrite it in more of a written tense. And then I go back and edit it. So then it always sounds like my voice. Like even with my own book, my teachers that read it, that know me, they were like, how did you use AI? It sounds like you. Like it actually yeah. sounds like you're talking to me. So like I, I'm so confused by it. But I think, you know, once you get to a point of where you and I are, and hopefully our students will get to be there, then it just enhances what you have to say mm -hmm. instead of using it to create the thoughts for you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um. So I don't know if you watch Black Mirror. Do you watch this show, Black Mirror? Uh, my husband's watched it some, but I have not watched it. But tell me, tell, tell okay. everybody about it. So there's this one episode of Black Mirror that it really essentially is AI. I'm not going to ruin the ending for you if you haven't seen it, but there's these people that are on what's, I guess, like a dating app. So it matches you with a human. And if you look at this little dial that it gives you, it will tell you this relationship will last only for like two hours. Like maybe it's just that date or this relationship will last a month or four months or a year or 10 years. And then people start relying on this technology to tell them if they're compatible. So I found that really interesting. Like, yes, that's about dating, not about um, education. But I think as we see more and more technology and AI pop up, where maybe the AI is telling you that this student performs at X level, and they're only going to get to this level by the end of the year. And then a teacher might have a bias now about that student. Mm. What do you think about this? Well, this difference between predictive analytics and becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, you know, they've, they've studied um, beliefs about students. Um, it's the old uh, Pygmalion in the classroom study where they took three teachers and said, you are the teachers who have the most opportunity for improvement in the whole district. We have selected all of the students who have the most opportunity for improvement and put you together. But the only requirement is you can't tell anybody. And then those students and those teachers actually led the whole district in their achievement. Then you got to the very end and they told them, guess what? The selections were random. That yeah. particular test, that, that research study studied for one thing. It studied for the belief of the teachers in their students' ability to learn. And we, while predictive tools can be helpful, there is a line that we cannot cross between pr predicting in a way to help us teach and predicting in a way that biases people. Um, when I get new students, I don't usually ask the teachers who had them before, except for help with a seating chart, because my goal is I want those students to succeed. And if you tell me that, that Johnny is terrible, then Johnny's going to be great for me because I don't label labels are terrible things. And so 
we just have to be really, really careful that are we using it for analytics to help us be better teachers and as formative assessment, or are we using it as an excuse um, to not teach Johnny what Johnny needs to know or to not give him a fair shake? Or there's a a real danger um, there. So yeah, it's great with analytics. It's it can do a lot of help. It can save us a lot of time. But there are lines that we need to draw and we need to say self fulfilling prophecies are real. Labeling labeling is real. And if I'm not going to let you label a child that goes in my classroom, I am sure not going to let AI do it. Yeah. So did you read? I'm sure you read the U.S. Department of Education report with the humans in the loop. Did you read that report? No, I didn't read it. <laughs> oh, okay. So the U.S. Department of Education came out with this report called Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Teacher and Learning. And the big thing that I took from it was this whole idea of humans in the loop. So they basically said that AI is not going to replace human teachers and that the U.S. government is saying that every educational decision will be made by a human. The AI might help you come to a decision, but the final decision is going to be made by a human. I felt like that was aligned with what you said. And I just wanted to know if that made you feel a bit better about the future of education from what our government is yeah. telling Um, I did um, read that now that you jogged my memory. Um, well, it's kind of like autonomous weapons. Uh, the U.S. military does not want... Um, AI to ever decide to take a human life because that's a decision that a person would have to make. And that's a a horrible example as it relates to education. However, people need to be making decisions. As long as we understand that it is a tool that can help us, teachers are overworked, teachers can use teaching assistance. And if and something can assist me, like we put these A-L-E-X-A devices in our classrooms to tell kids how to spell because they we got tired of them asking us how to spell things, right? <clears throat> so there are successful uses of AI in the classroom, but yeah, um, humans should be making decisions about schedules. Humans should be making decisions about all these types of things. But of course, AI has already been used for a lot of those. So some things may actually have to backpedal a little bit, you know? Yeah. All right. So did you look at this when you checked? Out I the- did. I had I talked with and I I will one big thing and, and I stress this with my students is that AI is an it. It's a not a he or she. So well, let's and, tell everyone that can't see what this is. Yeah. You go ahead and why don't you describe okay. it? So Cotsmore School in the UK has a principal head teacher named Abigail Bailey, who is an AI. This is actually real it's on their website i put it up there for you i know vicky checked it out fun fact this was only released maybe a week ago i've been communicating with the actual headmaster of the school and they've agreed to come on the show to talk about this so first of all vicky do you have any questions for me to ask this headmaster and second of all what did you think of it as you were using it and playing with it Okay, so I I feel like they should have transparency. If this is just a GPT-4 interface, well, first of all, they're going to go broke if it is, (laughs) because I think they have to pay for the cycles. I'm not sure, but I think they do. Um, 
but I would be interested in the data behind it in their training data. And have they trained it specifically for their students in their specific content? Or is this just another way to interface with ChatGPT? So for well, me, I, 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 I would like transparency. Her. This is a her, Abigail. I asked her what she was trained on. I was asking her those questions. Or asking it. Sorry, it. Even it. though it looks like a her, it's really an it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I was all the questions you asked, I I asked it what it thought. And it apparently is trained on policies. I think now that everyone knows about this, the whole world is about to hop on and try it out. So they're gonna get a large bill. I think they're gonna get a big bill and then they may uh yeah, get regret it and put it behind a firewall or something. <laughs> yeah. Um another thing, so I could see this eventually, like maybe not right now. Is going back to what you were saying where you used um, Windows 11 AI to look at your own documents. One day we'll be able to just upload all of a teacher's courses, their lectures and all content that is them. And then your students can literally ask Cool Cat teacher Vicki Davis a question about their homework and get an answer that you would probably say. How do you feel about that, though? What do you think? What do you think about that? Well, I think that it would be very helpful to have AI chat capabilities within a textbook. I think that <clears throat> me giving it enough training data for it to answer like me would be virtually impossible. Um, but I could supervise a chat bot. So let the chat bot does what it does well. I can't find the assignment. I need to turn it in light. I have to take Scruffy to the vet and I can't get it. You know, I could put in my policies and all that kind of stuff and let a chatbot handle probably 80 to 85% of the basic inquiries that I would get. And then I could handle the other 15. So it's all about partnering, not replacing. Um, it's about supplementing. It's about giving kids what they don't already have um, help on uh, whatever it is they're struggling with. Of course, I'm not a big homework person except for my AP Computer Science Principles class. I don't assign a lot of homework, but I do think that anthropomorphizing AI is a dangerous thing to do. And we've got to be real careful that we help people understand it is a tool. And AI is the ability for machines to imitate humans. I mean, that's the Merriam-Webster definition, is that they're imitating humans. Georgia Tech, which is my alma mater for college, had a teaching assistant. And until one of the people um, in the class figured it out a little halfway over halfway through the semester, they did not tell the students that it was AI. Wow. And it took a while for them to figure out. But the, the, the students actually said it was very, very helpful. So I think you should tell people. I don't think you should lie about it. I agree. It's about yeah. like going back to what you said about transparency. Yeah. So we're just going to really quickly go through these resources for you. I so I put up two for leaders, and then I have some of Vicky's for the teachers out there. Teach AI released the AI Guidance for Schools Toolkit. It offers you principles for AI in education, sample school guidance, how to revise your existing policies, customizing a presentation, engaging parents, staff, and students, and a whole toolkit of tools that you can use. Another resource is COSIN's Generative AI Readiness checklist and it gives you an initial assessment, an operational readiness and risk management, everything from aligning with your existing district goals to legal review and a security framework. So I left all of that there for you as well. And then if you're a teacher and you want to learn about AI, check out Cool Cat Teacher Vicki Davis, who has so many resources for you and so many more to come. So do you want to just tell them about your resources really fast? 
uh, AI classroom rules, getting started with ChatGPT. I have some prompts in there and I've got some quick start guides that should be out within the next week or two, four of them. One of them is a two-pager, what is generative AI that's designed to be a conversation starter. Uh, great for PD. Uh, you can even use it in your classroom as well as how to use Bing Chat Enterprise and some other really cool ones that are coming out soon. Thank you. And thank you for all your work you do, because that's how I keep up is by people like you are putting the content out there. Um, anything else that you want to add to this? You know, pick pick your sources, build your PLN, uh, find people that you trust to keep you informed. And remember, you know, the strategy of innovation I always teach teachers is to innovate like a turtle. Pick 15 minutes twice a week to learn something new and then share something once a month that you learned with somebody else. Um, Keep a list of three things that you want to learn next and then just like look at that list and try some new things. Um, But just we've got the only thing constant about our students life is change. So we've got to model innovation and change ourselves without being overwhelmed. So don't let yourself be overwhelmed. Just, you know, pick something that interests you and um, and try it out. I just want to say thank you so much, Vicki. Can you just tell everyone that doesn't know you where to find you? Uh, cool Cat Teacher everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere is just at Cool Cat Teacher. Love that. Makes it nice and easy. Join us next time. We're going to be live at NiceGate. So if you're at the annual conference, you can actually watch us record live at the annual conference. We're going to put that in the agenda. So you'll know where and when we're going to be recording and you could join us live. Future sessions will include the Cottesmore School in the UK. We'll also have Matt Miller talking about Shades of Grey. Is it a is it cheating or a th- thought partner? And Ken Shelton talking about AI bias and discrimination. Thank you for listening. Um, if you have any ideas for guests, please let us know. Uh, and a big, big thank you to NiceGate for powering these podcasts. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Generative Age, powered by NiceGate. For a deeper dive, check out my new book titled, How'd You Guess? The Generative Age, now available on Amazon. Our journey may pause here, but the conversation doesn't need to end. Stay connected and informed by following me on social media at Alana Winnick and subscribing to my newsletter, all conveniently accessible on my website, alanawinnick.com. Don't just listen, be a part of it. With your free NiceGate membership, you can join these live discussions, enroll in our free Generative Age NiceGate community, where you can share resources, ask questions, and collaborate with like-minded colleagues. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a review and telling a colleague or a friend. We've got so much more in store, so be sure to join us next time for another exciting conversation. Until then, keep learning and keep growing in the generative age.